Follow the podcast wherever you get your podcasts for regular updates. And I'm open to feedback. You can find me at talkingofgiants at gmail.com. An elderly man has a conversation with a friend of his. The friend, who was also the writer of his biography, remarked, You had a largeness of heart in that situation. There was no largeness of heart, the elderly man replies. Don't forget, it's easy to have largeness of hearts when you're indestructible. When a man like me was fighting him, it was not a question that he could destroy me. He could be destroyed. He was the weak one. He knew all the time that he was vulnerable. So it's easy for me whenever I have a thing like this happen to me. What am I afraid of? Largeness of heart is required when you're vulnerable. A swift and strong sense of where he stood in a situation, coupled with a dose of humility, can be found across many things this man has said and done in his life. Let's talk about that man, J.R.D. Tata. Hello everyone, welcome to Talking of Giants, a podcast about the stories of giants of various fields. This episode is part 2 in our series about the Tata group from India. Today, we explore the story of the group from the prism of the life of the man who sat at its helm for the longest amount of time, J.R.D. Tata. In 1904, Jamsetji Tata, the patriarch of the Tata family, was in Germany. A frail old man at this point, he was on death's doorstep. His cousin, the son of his mother's brother, was at his bedside. R.D. Tata, he was called, short for Ratanji Dadabhai Tata. Jamseji wanted to see his son Dorab before he breathed his last. But before that, he gave a precious possession of his, a Patek Philippe watch, to his cousin R.D. He told his cousin R.D. about how he wanted his sons to carry on his legacy. His cousin, though, wisely advised that it would be near impossible to match the accomplishments that Jamsetji had. Then let them at least preserve what has been done, Jamsetji hoped. And he waited for his son. Days later, his son Dora would arrive with his wife. Having seen his son, the near-unconscious Jamseji mumbled a few words. He would pass away the next day. The men who were with him during his death, his cousin R.D. and his son Dorab, would be pivotal in the march forward. They would help realize three important dreams of his that could not be finished while he was alive. An institute of science worthy of global standards, an iron and steel factory, and a hydroelectric network. The Tata group made huge advances, and this duo was responsible for it. Going a little ahead in time, it was the year 1926. A young man named Jahangir boarded a train from Jamshedpur. The steel plant of the Tatas had expanded well in this city, and young Jahangir was learning under fine management. But his travel to Bombay was not triggered by anything auspicious. 
After the death of Jamshedji Tata, R.D. Tata and his cousin Dorabji Tata had worked hand in hand. But Dorabji was known to have a temper and R.D. Tata found it hard for him to work with Dorabji. R.D. Tata moved to France where he hoped to establish an independent trade in pearls and silks apart from his responsibilities with the House of Tatas. He had taken up French lessons with a tutor who was suggested by Jamshedji himself. Apart from a skill in French, he was also to pick something else valuable there. He found the woman of his life in the tutor's house. R.D. Tata had already been married once when he was very young and was now a widower. Now in his 40s, he fell in love with the young French lady, Suzanne. More than 20 years younger than him and of a different faith, it was a tricky place for R.D. Tata to be. But R.D. Tata was very surprised by how accepting Jamsajji Tata was. His cousin Dorab, on the other hand, had a fiery disapproval. The wedding went ahead. Years later, this couple, R.D. Tata and his wife Suzanne, had a son. His French wife had now converted to Zoroastrianism and changed her name to Sunni. Merely days after the death of Jamshedji Tata, Ardi's son brought great joy to the Ardi Tata household. They named him Jahangir, Jahangir Ratanji Dadabhai Tata. Or as the whole of India now remembers him with reverence, J.R.D. Tata. Now, travelling on that train from Jamshedpur to Bombay, many things might have crossed JRD's mind. He had had a very interesting childhood, one filled with joys and adventures and even minor escapes from death. His father's insistence had kept him from taking a promotion with the French cavalry. The whole unit got killed on a deployment to Morocco. JRD Tata was saved. In another instance, a ship they had travelled on got destroyed by German U-boats in the very next journey. And again, Jadi's life was spared. Jadi was also a man that belonged to way too many places at once. His father was Indian but was of Persian heritage on account of being a Parsi. His mother, however, was French. Jadi had even lived and studied in Japan for a while during the First World War. When he came to India, he couldn't completely fit in. He still thought in French and it was to be a period of learning before he learned the way of things in India. By the time Jadi Tata arrived in Bombay, he realized the weight of responsibility now on his shoulders. He had arrived in Bombay because... R.D. Tata, his father, had passed away. Jadi Tata was now the head of his family and he had four siblings to look after. Jadi had a tough road ahead of him. Sure, he was part of an extended family that were nation builders, but there was a need for him to prove himself first. After the death of his father, R.D. Tata, Jadi used to be sick a lot of the time. His sister recalls seeing him dive into business magazines and other work after he got back from work. 
she would insist that he rest and let himself heal he would refuse with the simple reply no i want to be worthy of the tatas but before he went on to do greater things in life jadi first had to attend to his family affairs adi tata had some business operations fail during the final years of his life due to this significant amounts of money were owed to different parties including dorabji tata jadi quickly got serious about the task at hand and started liquidating the family assets these years were also marked by a youthful brashness on the part of mr jadi his father had for the longest time forbade him from getting a motorcycle after his passing jadi got himself a second hand motorcycle he also really loved his bugatti he would drive at great speeds and pride himself for years about how soon he could reach pune or some such other place from bombay this was also going to get jadi into trouble with the police obviously the police could not put up for long with what they considered a speed driving nuisance there was an instance where, where a friend of jadi's got into an accident as per mr jadi tata's account they were supposed to meet at a particular place and on the way his friend had gotten into the accident an accident which took his life but the police took the matter seriously and booked a case against jadi tata claiming that they were racing unsafely jadi tata could be in big trouble he needed to lawyer up luck and favorable circumstances are such a huge part of a good life this would be proven in this episode of jadi tata's police case jadi tata went to the house of jack vikaji a top criminal lawyer to help him stay out of trouble not only did jadi get out of the allegation without charge he also got something way more important at the house of mr vikaji he found the woman he would go on to marry it was at jack vikaji's house that jadi tata first saw his to be wife telma vikaji she was jack's niece while jadi's sense of thrill and adventure did get him into trouble it was also key in his life going forward i mean only a man who drove bugattis down bombay roads at dizzying speeds could have dreamed of the projects jadi dreamed of that too when he was in his 20s jadi went to dorab tata and suggested an enterprise that was not even a consideration within india at that time he suggested that the tata group start an airline an airline this was 1929 tatas were still recovering from some losses made in other fields no one at this point saw the immense potential and it was mostly rich and might i add foolhardy hobbies who were very much into planes at the time so what jadi tata suggested would have sounded to everyone like an expensive indulgence that was sure to fail but after a lot of convincing thankfully dorab tata agreed to fund the venture two things are important for this piece of the story jadi tata was not new to planes at this point even as a child his father ardi tata's house in france was close to louis blerio's house yes louis blerio 
one of aviation world's great pioneers. The second thing that makes it fitting that J.R.D. Tata started India's first successful airline is that he was the first pilot to get the A license from the Aero Club of India. But starting the airline was no easy task. They started as a small mail carrier to deliver letters that had arrived via the Imperial Airways in Karachi, now in Pakistan. From Karachi, Tatas would transport the letters to places like Bombay and Chennai. During this time, the company that would be named Air India later on developed a reputation for punctuality. These were days when there were barely decent runways. Come monsoons, one of the runways would be under the sea. They could not even transport stuff at night because the government was not interested in setting up ground equipment for guided navigation. At a time like that, JRD started and made successful a mail carrier and turned it into a functional airline and one that was known for punctuality. They started with the humble Pusmoth aeroplane and owned a huge fleet of Boeings by the time he stepped down from the company. The Pusmoth could barely carry a few tons of load and maybe a person or two and the Boeings could carry hundreds. For him, the story of his career seems to be the story of Air India. Many a time when asked about what he considers as the great experience or achievement in his life, he would constantly quote Air India. The experience of flying, he would say, had been the most gratifying experience of his life. As fate would have it, more awaited for the young gentleman. Dorabji Tata passed away in 1932. A man by the name Navroji Saklatwala would take the reins for a few years afterward, but his health too would soon give in. After barely six years at the helm, he passed away leaving a vacuum yet again at the top. This time, it would be R.D. Tata's son who would fill the role. Despite other seniors present in the organization, the board of directors gathered and voted to make J.R.D. Tata the chairman of Tata Sons. J.R.D. Tata was only 34. J.R.D. brought in a flair and a sense of perfection to Indian industry. He always called the decision of the board to appoint him chairman during that fateful moment when he was 34 as a moment of mental aberration on their part. But by the end of his career, I'm sure even his humility couldn't have believed that the decision was nothing but the best. Jaddy maintained close ties with the government. He was friends with Jawaharlal Nehru, the first Prime Minister of Independent India. He had a tough relationship with him due to disagreements that would arise later on. It was, however, bound to happen due to Nehru government being inspired by Soviet values and as a virtue of his trade, Jadi Tata being a capitalist. The greatest moment of conflict 
was possibly during the negotiations in which the government wanted to take over Air India. Air India, the baby that GRD lovingly raised to international standards. Despite GRD's protest and multiple requests to create a different path, the government did not relent. Air India was nationalized. But so great was GRD Tata's influence on the world of aviation that he was asked to continue on as its chairman. GRD saw this as an insult to injury. Not only was his company taken away from him by what he considered unfavorable terms, he was now being asked to be the chairman in that same place. But for JRD Tata, as he would admit later on in life, Air India was an obsession. Even after he left it many decades later, he confessed to not being able to keep an outsider's perspective on it. On the matter of whether or not to take up the chairman role though, he was divided in his mind. He consulted his board of directors at Tata's. The board decided, as it often did, anything that would help the nation was something worth doing. They decided to honor that spirit of Jamsedji Tata and the chairman role was taken up by JRD. There he worked for three decades as an unpaid chairman for this government enterprise till he stepped down. JRD took what was already a huge established and diversified group and took it into new growing industries. It was at his behest that companies like Tata Chemicals, Tata Motors and Tata Consultancy Services took root in their earlier forms. They are now some of the biggest money makers for the Tata Group. When questioned about what led to this success and what set him apart, JRD is always a little self-deprecating. What do you think of yourself? How do you evaluate yourself? I certainly estimate myself at a, on a much lower level than seems to be extended to me. I don't think that uh, I quite deserve the, the friendship, the, not the friendship is the wrong word, the, uh, the admiration, the, the regard that I get because after all, all that I've done in my life, except perhaps in creating Air India. He even refers to himself as uneducated. He is not uneducated. He only says it because of his unfulfilled dream of going to Cambridge, where he wanted to be an engineer. He however said that his talent, if any, he would add humbly, his talent, he said, was in finding the right people. He not only had the talent to find the right people, but also the wisdom to give them the space to operate on their own. He was responsible for giving a then young man named Darbari Seth control of a budding chemical factory in India's western state of Gujarat. Darbari Seth would go on to develop India's biggest soda ash plant and from it a chemicals giant that would make India self-reliant for many chemicals. Jadi was also responsible for recruiting the man that was vital in the formation of Tata Motors, the group that acquired Land Rover and Jaguar many years later. 
Sumanth Mulgaonkar, the man in question, used to work for a cement manufacturing giant called ACC. There's a very famous story about Steve Jobs, a story of how he invited John Scully, who used to work at Pepsi at the time, to come work for him. And the line Steve Jobs used to sell the idea was that do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water or do you want to come with me and change the world? In an awfully similar anecdote, JRD recruited Sumanth Mulgaonkar from ACC Cement saying, "How long are you going to make the glue that sticks the bricks together?" That man went on to build the successful Tata division that is today Tata Motors. In this way, JRD's legacy in the Tata story has been many things: a preserver of a grand legacy, a creator of his own legacy, a pioneer of various new fields from chemicals to computers to automobiles to watches, pioneer sometimes for the Tata group and pioneer sometimes for the whole of India. He cruised through life like the young Jahangir Ratanji Dadabhai Tata cruised on his favorite plane the Pusmoth as a young pilot the charm and humor with which he accomplished these things was a definitive new benchmark for heads of corporates everywhere and he also never did let go of a chance for a good natured joke once an individual he had disagreements with came to a doctor this doctor was set up in bombay house which is the headquarters of the tatas when this person arrived the doctor rang jrd tata and said guess who is here mr kidwai he's here for my medical advice immediately with quick wit jrd remarked nothing trivial i hope wow Talking of Giants is a student wiki podcast hosted by Vikyat Mutyala. The soundtrack has been composed by Bertie Ashley. You can contact me Vikyat Mutyala at talkingofgiants@gmail.com. That is talkingofgiants@gmail.com. Hope you enjoyed the show.